going to be the answer. And somewhere along the way of the journey, the Lord will confirm or deny what he's doing or not supposed to do. And so, as he was sharing these stories, it was odd because it reminded me of someone I knew from my past. Uh, Someone who was bold and someone who lived by faith and was willing to step out on the water like Peter. And, and, And that same person then became sort of led by spiritual pragmatism, like let's, let's make sure we do what's good for everyone. And along the way, that person essentially left sort of their, their zeal or their boldness and started living um, safe. And that person was me. And as he's sharing with me his life and how he's trusting in the Lord, I was just, like I told him, I texted him the next night, I said, brother, you've given me a holy inspiration. Like, not that I'm trying to put myself on some, some sort of pedestal, but if, if you don't know the history of our church, uh, there was two families who just felt called to life-on-life discipleship. We wanted to take discipleship outside the four walls. We wanted, we wanted the Bible to become real. What we read in Scripture, we really wanted that. We wanted to see that happen in our homes for our children and for other people's children and fathers and, and, and mothers and and communities to be impacted, and people who didn't know Jesus uh, getting a seat at the table and get to experience Jesus. And those two families started a church called Convergence. And I, I was the, the paid pastor. And if, if you didn't know this aspect, and this, again, I'm not trying to toot my spiritual horn or anything, but um, <clears throat> when I felt like the Lord called me into this ministry, uh, Jay, do you remember how many, how many dollars we had in the bank account? 500000 Take, so take all the zeros off. So we had $5 in our church's bank account. And like we, I had went to school, I had studied church planning, and every good, safe church planning plan says you need to start with $150,000 in 20 families. And we started with $5 in two families. And by God's grace, many of you were, were, were with us from the beginning, and, and by God's grace, many of you have joined us on this journey. But it literally was us stepping out on the water and saying, hey, Lord, we, we, don't know, we don't know where the next step is. We don't see the stone. Or maybe we don't even need a stone. Like, we're just gonna walk on water. But we don't know what the next step looks like, but by faith, we're just gonna keep walking. And, and then by God's grace, we went from two families to about 40 families. Uh, prior to COVID, this room was probably twice full. Um, and honestly, for me, you know, I'm the kind of guy that wants to make sure everybody's okay and I started pastoring not from a place of courage or boldness, but from like management and like trying to make sure everyone was okay. And the analogy I like to use was, um, you, you guys have seen the, the dam that the water's breaking through, and maybe like there's one hole at a time or some water's coming through, and you can put your finger in that one hole and that, that's good for a while, and maybe if there's another hole, you can come over here and you can, you can plug that hole. But what happened during COVID was there was the George Floyd stuff. There was the, the COVID nonsense. There was all this crazy stuff, and there's all these holes in the wall. And I'm this guy, like, trying to put my foot up there and, and use my fingers and grab stuff. And, and, you know, and what happened, I realized, like, I can't do this. You know, and then eventually the Lord called me into the ministry with Love Life. But I think... <clears throat> This is not a confession necessarily, but 
it's an, it's an admission to you guys that, you know, when we started this church, it was by faith. It was bold. It was courageous. We did stuff that didn't make sense. We did stuff that was foolish in the world's eyes. And God blessed it. Amen? And so, you know, even before going any further, I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you for, for, to each one of you guys. We don't, we don't really acknowledge the members of this church very often. So I want to honor you because you guys also took a step and a leap of faith to join, you know, the guy who has very little schooling, who's polished and rough around the edges and said, hey, man, we're, we're, we're going to join in that mission. And the reason I think that our church grew early on is primarily because of the Lord's blessing. But I think that when people looked at Jade, myself, and our families, they believed that we believed in what we were doing. You know what I'm saying? When you looked at our families, you're like, hey, man, like, yeah, we've seen church this way, and these guys are saying that they want to do it this way, and at the minimum, you at least believed when you joined that this church believed in what we were doing. Like, we, hey, we said this is where we're going, and you said, Carl said, man, with tears in his eyes at Chick-fil-A, brother, this is what we always wanted to do. And you partnered up. And so I want to say thank you. Thank you for following us on this journey. This Wednesday night, if you didn't get the memo, where's Kristen? Did that email go out yet? Okay, so this Wednesday night, we're going to meet back here from 7 to 8.30, and we're going to do what 2 Chronicles 7.14 says. We're going to humble ourselves, we're going to pray, we're going to seek the face of the Lord, and we're going to ask God to guide us. Um, we're not going to do things anymore fearfully. We're not. It's not how we started, that wasn't our DNA. We're, we're going to seek the Lord. We prayed, we fasted, God inspired the vision for this church. And just personally, it's, we've, I have personally kind of done things that made sense. And I haven't always sought the face of the Lord. Like, what does that look like? Yes, we pray. Yes, we fast. Yes, we, we get together. But we just humble ourselves and say, God, you're in control. And so this Wednesday night, we're going to come back together as a church. Um, <clears throat> I think Logan, Aaron, and Alex are going to lead us in worship. And we're going to pray for about 45 minutes. And then the pastors are going to lay out a potential pathway for our church, four potential pathways that we can think of. And we're going to ask you guys to seek the Lord. And how do you think the Lord's leading? We're not an elder-ruled church. We're an elder-led church, which means that we take the input of the congregation and we, and we make decisions as we feel the Lord's leading. And so... I'm saying all that to say, listen up. Listen up today because I don't think God wants any of us to live fearful. Amen? God wants us to be faithful, whatever that is, whatever God's calling us to, individually, corporately, missional community-wise, family-wise, God wants us to be faithful. So, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We're going to consider what faithfulness and fearfulness looks like, and then my hope is to give you some pastoral encouragement, exhortation on what faithfulness looks like from this passage. And so if you got your notebooks, if you want to do two columns and write fearful and faithful, you can do that. If you want to just keep a mental note or take a note on your phone, you can do that. 
Um, we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel. I'm trying to think the last time we had an Old Testament sermon. I did preach Psalm 127 a while back. It's been a while since we've gone through the Old Testament. 1 Samuel is an amazing book. Um, I would encourage you guys to read the whole book. Uh, just as a side note, um, so the guy called me up on the next night after, uh, he called me up last Sunday, and he said, hey, brother, he said, um, I've got, because I told him, I said, man, when you get a way to do that, like, I want to learn how to do that. Like, I've never done that. And so the guy that I was talking about earlier calls me on Sunday night, <clears throat> and he says, hey, man, how does the end of September look? I looked at my calendar. I don't have anything going on. He said, we're going we're gonna to do a prayer, prayer journey. Like, a, we're going to go meet with the Lord. We're going to go seek his face, me and two of my friends. I want to bring you with me. I was like, dude, sounds awesome, because he was doing them in Virginia and whatnot. Like, I'll just drive up there, and we'll meet you. <clears throat> and he said, by the way, he said, um, we're going to do it at the Grand Tetons. Anybody ever been to the Grand Tetons? A couple of y'all. Is it awesome? I've never been. So I was like, hey, that sounds good. Let me look at my airline mileage. You know, I travel a lot with my job. I said, if I can afford it, man, I'd love to be there. Looked at my airline miles. It was going to wipe all of them out. So I called him back and said, hey, brother, I'd, I'd love to come. I, just, this, I don't think this is the time. Uh, and he said, I'm paying for it, man. I want, you, I want you to be here. I want you to seek the Lord with me. And then he said, um, <clears throat> or I said, hey, cool, man. Like, what do I need? What do I need to get ready? Starts naming all this stuff. You're going to need a whatever leader backpack. You're going to need some hiking sticks. We're going to have to get some bear spray. Uh, you're going to need to get some hiking boots. He's like, you're going to need to, to exercise 30 minutes a day and be really uncomfortable. And like, you know, I'm just saying, like, you know, that, that's not, I don't do that. Right? So I'm like, okay. And he's like, and you're probably going to need to lose about 30 pounds. You know? And he's, he's like, and so you probably want to give up bread and sugar. Dude, I love, I mean, these donuts back there. I mean, that's my thing, bread and sugar. And so the beauty of it is this past week I've been walking every day, most days. Um, and last night, this is the encouragement from this, um, you know, in the Bible app it will read to you. I just walked around my neighborhood, listened to 1 Samuel 1 all the way to 1 Samuel 18 and just kept walking, just listening to Scripture. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you struggle with, with, with your health, both physical or spiritual, just go for a walk and, man, just let the Bible read to you. It's amazing. Like, I wasn't even tired. I was like, I feel like I can go through the whole book, but I had to get home and, and write down some stuff I was seeing and thinking. So um, <clears throat> I want to, we're going to stand up. This is going to be a painful exercise for some of you. If you have health issues, you can stay seated. But for everybody else, please stand. We're gonna, we always stand symbolically to honor the reading of God's word. We're going to read a lot of scripture today. Uh, we're going to read 1 Samuel 13, verse 1, all the way to 1 Samuel 14, verse 23. Uh, the words will be on the screen, and I'm going to try with my failing eyes to read from my Bible. I actually thought about having several people come up here and help me read, but I didn't plan it ahead of time. All right, <clears throat> starting off in verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 13. You guys, uh, you want to read with me? Okay, here we go. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And when he had reigned for two years over Israel, Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. 
Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it, said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines. And the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops, like the sand of the seashore in multitude. They came up and camped at Michmash, to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. He waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come from within the days appointed, and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For when the Lord would establish the kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you, and Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army, they went from Gilgal to guilt of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan, sons, and the people who were present with them stayed in Geba of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped to Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp to the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah, to the land of Shul. Another company turned toward Beth Horon. And another company turned toward the border that looks down of the valley of Zeboam, toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears, but every one of the Israelites down to the Philistines to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes for setting the goads. So the day of the battle there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand any of the people with Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the garrison of the Philistines went out to pass of Michmash. Chapter 14. <clears throat> One day 
Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, in the promagantic cave of Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, son of Phinehas, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know what Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on one side and a rocky crag on the other. <clears throat> the name was Bozes, and the name of the other Sinna. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Geba. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. Come up to us, then we will go up. For the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet, and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan. <coughs> bear killed them after him. And that first strike, which Jonathan and his armor bearer made, killed about 20 men within, as it were, half a furlough's length in an acre of land. And there was a panic in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. The garrison and even the raiders trembled. The earth quaked, and it became a very great panic. And the watchmen of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked. And behold, the multitude was dispersing here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, Count and see who is gone from us. And when they had counted, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. So Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God here. For the ark of God went at that time with the people of Israel. Now while Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the camp of the Philistines increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and the, peop the people who were with him rallied and went into the battle. And behold, every Philistine sword was against his fellow, and there was a great confusion. Now the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time and had gone up with them into the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, when all the men of Israel had hidden themselves in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing, they too followed hard after them in battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed beyond Beth-Avon. This is the word of our Lord. 
Father, thank you for your word. God, I don't know if we've read that much scripture in this church ever, but I thank you for it. I thank you that your word is sufficient and your word declares that your word will accomplish all that it is purposed to do. So that's our prayer. We agree with you, God, that you will cause your word to purpose us, to give us intents, to build our faith, that we might walk with you and help others follow our great God. Help us now in this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a holy eye strain. I'm telling you, when you get to be 43, man, stuff just starts doing this. <clears throat> All right, so there was a lot, there, was a lot there to unpack. And, and again, we're not going to go through everything. Last week, we talked about a faithful farewell. It was how we say goodbye in faith. And today, I want us to look at some of these passages to see how we can be faithful leaders, how we lead with faith, how we lead in faith. And so my first point is this, a faithful leader isn't a fearful leader, okay? A faithful leader isn't a fearful leader. When we see, when we see Saul, it, it's good to read the whole of Scripture, it's good to read the whole book, because when you read passages like this, it's easy to like point the finger at him, like he's a coward, he did stuff wrong, but you got to understand, man, Saul's been through a lot. Uh, he was appointed to be the first king over Israel, pretty weighty task. Uh, he, like most of us, when God commanded him to, to be totally obedient, he was like 95% obedient. And how many of y'all know that delayed obedience or not complete obedience is disobedience? Um, and so it's easy, I, I think we read, sometimes we read these passages and like we ultimately like, I'm never, I'm not like Saul. It's like, yeah, we're, we're probably more like Saul and the guys cowering in the cave than we are like Jonathan, his armor bearer. But, but what we see here is that the first act of fearfulness in this passage is from 1 Samuel 13, 5 through 14, where, you know, they're, they're, first off, Saul's got 2,000 people. Jonathan's got 1,000, okay? Uh, Jonathan goes and beats the Philistines, and Saul claims the victory. Look what Saul has done. He blew the trumpet. Saul has beat the Philistines. And then the Philistines, like, rage up this massive army against Israel, and Samuel gives Saul a charge to sacrifice burnt offerings unto the Lord at the seventh day when he comes. And Saul waits seven days. Samuel doesn't come. And so he takes it upon himself to be the priest. He takes it upon himself to do it his own way. Okay, uh, oftentimes you'll see in scripture, um, we think about Abraham who was promised to be the father of many nations at some 70, 80 years old. I don't know the exact age. One of y'all can school me on it. <clears throat> his wife Sarah's barren, right? He's at the end of his days essentially. You know, I know they lived longer back then, but like most people aren't having kids at 80. Um, He's at the end of his days. He's been trying to have babies with Sarah for so long. Nothing happens, so what does he do? 
What was her name? Hagar. He takes Hagar. He's like, we'll do it this way. Like, maybe this is what God meant. Right? So this isn't some new thing in Scripture. Uh, Adam and Eve, right? Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. One, one pro, like literally one thing they weren't supposed to do. They had complete freedom to do everything else, but don't, don't do that. And what'd they do? They said, hey, we're, we're gonna go do that. So this isn't, this isn't, this doesn't start with Saul. This starts with, this started in the garden and it permeates all through mankind. And the reality is Saul wasn't the priest. He wasn't the one who was to be offering sacrifices of burnt offerings or peace offerings. Saul was of the tribe of Benjamin and was not to do the work of the priest. So you can read this passage and think at glance, like, oh, well, he waited seven days. Like, and even his explanation was like, I wanted to seek the Lord. And that stuff sounds good, right? Like if, you, if someone in this room said, man, I was just trying to seek the Lord. I wanted, I wanted the favor of God. I wanted to offer up unto God. But it's like, hey, dude, you didn't do it in God's order. You, you didn't do it the way God instructed. And so Saul's sacrifice was sinful because he disobeyed Samuel's command from the Lord. Samuel was a prophet and a person of authority, and the, the word of the Lord had been spoken to Saul through Samuel. So in essence, he made a decision in the, in the flesh, but I believe he made a decision that he spiritualized and, and tried to tell people that it was godly. But really, if you read those verses, I'm not going to read them again because we just read them, but the people were starting to scatter. The people were starting to lose trust. We saw they went from 3,000. They're down to 600. And it says the people are starting to look. Maybe it's Saul like, hey, bro, like, like, I don't know about this anymore, man. Like, Philistine army is way bigger than us, dude. Like, we're, we're, we're gonna go seek higher ground or lower ground. We're, we're gonna go seek refuge. And so I think, it was, I think it was spiritual pragmatism. I think he was disobedient because God told him, this is what you're gonna do. This is how you're gonna do it. And he chose to do it his own way. So again, it's easy to point the finger at Saul but we need to take a look at ourselves. And so my, my first question from this point is, where in your life or where in your life today do you see yourself making decisions more in the flesh than by faith? I can tell you with 100% authority that having children is very difficult. Okay. My wife can tell you that having children, <laughs> bearing children is very difficult. But I can tell you that raising children is very difficult. Teaching human beings how not to kill themselves or others, feeding them, providing for them, teaching them the scripture. Like, it's bad enough I got to deal with my sin, but now I've got five kids' sin I got to deal with. And every now and then my wife sins, like, not much. She does too. But, but so that's really hard. But I can also tell you with 100% authority is I have two sons who are getting ready to leave that it's worth it. That it's worth it. I can tell you with 100% authority that 
following Jesus is not easy. But I can tell you with 100% authority that's worth it. Is it Anna? Everybody else knows. I help lead a ministry called Love Life, which we stand outside abortion centers. We worship, we praise God. We call out to moms and dads and, and we, we say, hey, we're here to help you. Come talk to us. We have the hope of the gospel and the help of the church. And I can tell you with 100% authority, because I've, I've seen it, I've walked it, that when you stand outside an abortion center and you watch 80 moms walk in, that that is a heavy toll on you. But I can also tell you with 100% authority that us being there, offering the hope of the gospel, that babies are getting saved. Moms and dads are, are getting saved. That happens as well. Being a Christian is hard. Living life is hard. But following Jesus is worth it. So I want to encourage you guys to be a faithful leader who's not living fearfully, not living in the flesh. Next point is a faithful leader has a plan. Okay? This comes right out of this whole passage, really, but I highlighted verse 1, and particularly verse 4 through 10. <clears throat> there's, a, uh, there's a passage in Scripture um, from Proverbs 29, 18. It says, people perish without a what? Vision or plan. And I want to affirm that, that planning is good, but I also want to affirm that the way that this verse is used sometimes it like over-spiritualizes like a man's plan, um, which I think you have to have a plan, right? I'll never forget a couple years ago, you know, Pastor Jade was exhorting me to, to do a weekly date night with my wife, and I was like, man, I just don't have a time for it. Like, I'm not sure. And he's like, just put it on your calendar once a week. We had a plan. Now, we do date night every week, don't we? Most weeks. You got you to have a plan. But what this is talking about here. Proverbs 28, 19, this vision is either a divine revelation from God, which primarily we saw happen in this book, but it's also speaking about the oracles of God, the word of God. And so I want us to be careful about, you know, highlighting man's plan over God's plan. Um, when you think about a plan or a vision it must first start, ground itself, and end in the word of God. There's no vision or plan that will ever contradict what God's spoken in his word. Amen? And so sometimes we like to over-spiritualize, like, what's the Lord doing? Like, let me, let me look for a sign. If I hold my finger this way and the wind blows that way, like, God wants me to go. It's like, man, listen. If, if you've graduated beyond this, like if, if, you've, if, you, if you understand God's will and plan through this perfectly and, and, and you need to like roll dice on the ground and if it lands on an odd number, you're gonna go left and an even number, you go right, like that's proof that you haven't really read this because there's enough instruction in God's word. God is not hiding the mission from us. God's not making it confusing Every plan, mission, vision, strategy of God's people, it better be 100% in line with God's word. Amen? 
And when we started this church, it was literally out of like the book of Acts. Like we're, we're seeing the, the church come alive and we're like, we've been told that you can't do that, but then we're also told that all scripture is, is authoritative and profitable for teaching. Maybe we can do that. And not to go too far off in a ditch, because Jade's probably got his timer on me. I've got one too and I'm over. But when we started, it, was, it, was, it wasn't about this. I can just tell you that. We, we weren't about Sundays, right? It, and, and I'm just telling you that the way I feel personally stirred is that it's, it's I think it should look more like this than like this. I think that God's called us to be disciple makers in the homes and in our communities and not people driving an hour to a building where no one lives. I'm just gonna say that. Because when I look at God's word, I just don't see that in here. I don't see the show. I don't see performance. I don't see, I don't see what I'm doing. Right. I don't see one man speaking and everyone listening. I praise God. I think he's gifted me in certain ways and you guys aren't walking out yet. I think this is profitable. I don't think it's evil. But I'm just, I'm looking at the word. And I'm like, okay, I want to I wanna balance things. And I'm not even saying anything authoritatively about our future. I'm just saying I want to be led by the word. I want to be led by the Spirit, and I hope that you do too. And, and these people knew. I think, I think that Jonathan knew the oracles. 1 Samuel 2, if you back up, there's this, this great, I mean, there's so much great exhortation about who God is and what he's done. But let me read this one for you from 1 Samuel 2, 9 through 10. Speaking of the Lord, it says, He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall to be the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. What they hear at the camp. What it sound like when everyone's scattering. The ground's thundering. The Lord will judge to the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king, and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Jonathan's in the camp. He sees the Philistines, the uncircumcised Philistines coming against God's people. His plan was, hey man, we read it, there's no weapons. They don't even have weapons. Takes his armor bearer and says, hey dude, they broke up in three groups. Like there's, there's a... There's a rocky, craggy mountain. There's this valley that's, that's made up of boulders and sharp edges. Let's, me and you, let's go down this path and let's go up and let's beat them. By many or by few. We don't need the 600. We don't need the 3,000. Think about Gideon's army. Huge army. God whittled them down. And this is the pattern in Scripture. God will take a huge group of people and he'll winnow them down to a small group. Why? So that he gets the glory for doing what only he can do. Like, do you want to live like that? So, 
What's crazy even is his, his like, here's the proof that God wants us to do this. We're going to go up on this rocky, rocky, craggy mountain. Does craggy sound weird? I, I watched Bear Grylls back in the day. He always told me, a rocky, craggy crevasse. My wife just rolled her eyes. But, but I like that word, craggy. I'm getting ready to go to the Teton, so I'm trying to like. So it's a foolish plant. Like there's no path. It's, it's, it's unstable. And he says, listen, if we get there and they see us, and the Philistines hate the Israelites. He says, if, if they see us and basically they don't want anything to do with us, like, we'll just know that that wasn't really God's plan. But if, if they look at us and say, come up here and fight, then we know God wants us to go. That's crazy, man. That's insane. And so <clears throat> his plan doesn't make sense. His plan is foolish. And so my question for you is, do you live safe? Is your life ordered by like what's good, what's safe, what's orderly, what's manicured, what's neat? Or are you looking for opportunities to say, man, there, there is an uncircumcised garrison that's coming down and I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the hard place with few men and little weaponry, and really a foolish strategy so that God will get the glory. Does that, does that describe you? I kind of feel like that was where we were when we started this church. I'm not saying we've completely gone away from that, but I'm just saying I don't think that's the, it's not the forefront vision and posture of our hearts. And so I had to ask myself that question. But a faithful leader has a plan that lines with God's word. Ultimately, a faithful leader trusts in the Lord. Listen, he said in verse six, what did he say? I'm glad you asked. He says, come, let us go over the garrison of these uncircumcised Philistines. It may be that the Lord will work for us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. So his faith wasn't in his armor bearer. It wasn't in his strategy. It wasn't in his weaponry. His faith was solely in the Lord. Amen? So, so hear me out. Don't go do foolish stuff just because. Pastor Brian said we need to go climb down rocky, craggy mountains just because. No, like if the Lord is bearing on your, he's bearing you to witness and, and testify of his glory to his enemies, you go. You go. God's faithful. Joshua 21, 45 says, not one of the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Speaking of rocks, Deuteronomy 34 says, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And the psalmist who would probably be inspired by these types of stories says this in Psalm 33, verse 4. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all that he does. Guys, God's track record is perfect. Perfect. He's 100% faithful. He never stops being faithful. He will never ever be unfaithful. He will always be faithful to you. 
Jonathan wasn't trusting in the numbers, he wasn't trusting in the weapons, really wasn't trusting the strategy, and he wasn't dismayed by the size of the army against God. His focus was on the faithfulness of God. Amen? So if you're going to be a faithful leader, you're going to have trust in the Lord. Point four, a faithful leader will inspire others, obviously. The armor bearer says in verse seven, like, hey, dude, I believe you, and so I'm with you. I believe you, so I'm with you. And as he went and they had this great victory, what did the fellow Israelites do? They jumped into battle. Even Saul came, right? After the enemies are defeated, Saul shows up. Blow the trumpets, I'm here. A few chapters later, there's a, a famous shepherd king by the name of David who says something similar to Goliath. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine coming against God's people? Almost the same thing Jonathan said. Do you think he was inspired probably by the testimony of Jonathan and God's faithfulness? I believe so. The apostle Paul says, follow me as I follow Jesus. Much of the early church was planted by directly through the apostle Paul. People believed him as he believed on Jesus. So my question is, who or what are you inspiring others to follow in your life? Who or what are you inspiring others to follow in your life? When people look at you, do they see radical obedience like Jonathan? Do they see someone who's primarily concerned with safety and comfort like Saul? Or do they see you, which is not a bad thing, to be the armor bearer? Someone who's called to come alongside and support the mission. Dads, men, God has strategically placed us in the homes to be the head. As the father goes, the house goes. As the family goes, the church goes. As the church goes, the culture goes. Dads, fathers, lead well. But let's make no mistake. Men aren't more important than women. Amen? God has given men the, the, the position of leadership and women the position of submission unto the leadership. But like we were driving here on the way in and we were talking about this and I said, what's more important, guys, the houses in this neighborhood or the people in them? The people. God's called men to, I bet you 99% of these buildings were, were built by men. And then as God's plan is, is it would be the, the woman's place to love and nurture these children. Both roles are super vital. The father's called to be a protector, a provider. The mother's called to be a nurturer, a supporter. You want to see a jacked up society? You have kids that are raised by someone else. Parents have 
said, hey, it's, it's not my responsibility to take care of my kids. That's someone else's job. It's like, buddy, you need to read scripture. Clearly, God has a plan for parents to lead their children. So everyone in here has influence. Everyone in here is a leader. What are you influencing people to do? The fifth point and the last point is a faithful leader will witness the Lord's miraculous victory. Guys, honestly, I don't know if I would have went with Jonathan. Just being honest. We got the camp. We've already battled. We've already got people coming against us. And he wants to do this crazy thing to go fight those guys who are nasty. Like, I'm just telling you, I don't know if I would have gone. But that's where the miraculous exists. The miraculous exists where God can only do what God does in the places you cannot. In verse 7, the armor bearer says, I'm with you in soul and heart. And if you study that more in depth, it's really talking about like, I'm inside of you. Like that's how close he was. Now, I want to tell you guys, we have something better. We have something better than a physical armor bearer. We have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us that will walk with us on these difficult missions to see the miraculous happen. And that was accomplished by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who left the camp. He left the comforts of heaven to come to earth to live the life that you couldn't and die the death that you deserved. The Holy Spirit is in you, dwells in you because of what Jesus Christ has done. If you're a Christian, you need to know that the miraculous will only happen in your life as you trust and abide in Jesus through the Spirit. And if you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian, you've yet to, to surrender your life You're walking alone. I want to tell you that there's a God who is for you. He's brought you here to hear the words that he loves you. He cares for you. He wants to not only come around, come around you, but he wants to, to dwell in you. So that in the still small moments of life when you lay your head on your pillow or you wake up in the morning, whatever hardship you're in, that his love is for you and that he's faithful. I want that for you. God wants that for you. So in closing, I want to ask, sincerely ask you this question. Not just here, because we can all answer here, but in here, in here. What kind of leader do you desire to be? You want to be a leader who's full of faith, who sees miraculous, who inspires others? Or do you want to be a fearful leader who plays it safe, does things your own way, causes others to stumble? Choose this day which which leader you desire to be.
I know God's heart is that we would all be leaders filled with faith. Amen? And so let us pray. Father, thank you that your grace is sufficient, that your faith does allow us to be filled with your spirit and to do things that are insane, things that look foolish. I pray, God, that that today your people would be filled with your spirit and filled with faith and boldness and courage to love people who are unlovable, to forgive people who are otherwise unforgivable, to go to hard places and say hard things, and to bring your love and your truth to people who desperately need it, God. Thank you, Jesus, that you left heaven. Thank you, Jesus, that you, the God of the heaven and earth, you humbled yourself and came into human history. You dwelt amongst sinners, and then you reconciled sinners, and now you dwell within us through your spirit. I pray that no matter what decision we make individually, corporately, familial, God, that it would be filled with faith. That instead of asking what's the safe option or the good option, that we would say, how can we glorify God? How can we see the miraculous? Help us step into areas where we desperately need you for the victory. I pray victory. I pray, God, peace. I pray love and mercy over all my brothers and sisters in here, God. I pray that you would still fears, you would overcome their fear with faith, love, grace, compassion. God, help us be who you've called us to be, holy, righteous, a royal priesthood, a people set apart for the miraculous. We love you, we thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name.